0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. So you've been training the Olympic lifts for a while, but your progress has stalled. Sound familiar? Enter Jedi Sean Waxman of Waxman's Gym. Having coached numerous national competitors over his 25-year career, he knows the science behind successful lifters. What you may not expect is his belief that aerobic work in the form of sport can give an ollie athlete the edge. When periodized appropriately, how exactly does this translate to more power and efficiency? In this episode, Sean Waxman and the crew discuss the overlap of sport and Olympic lifting down to the muscle fiber. Waxman generously gives an overview of how he programs microcycles leading up to a competition and some fascinating discussion on the potentially positive role that fatigue has on performance and what it means to train to improve your average maximum force versus your absolute maximum force. Oof, this is a dense one. This is episode 229.
1: Athlete Nation, what is up? I won't do the waza. that. Uh, uh, no, it's on, dude. I call my buddy, and he fucking did was up back
2: from <laughs> 1999 to 2003. <laughs> I think that was popular. So
1: yeah, yeah, that's where I peaked. We already so covered it's probably this probably last episode. A decade episode. and a half ago, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and in conditioning. conditioning. So public service announcements up front. Don't just hit that fucking 30 fast-forward button. I know what you're thinking, people. Like, oh, here they go. Maybe there's going to be a surprise in this one. Maybe there's going to be a nugget. You could miss out. Don't hit the fast-forward button. Don't do it. Let's talk about Power Athlete Symposium. 13 amazing speakers. Three days. Knowledge. Alcohol. Well, there's (laughs) maybe one cocktail hour. Networking. Friendship. Funny, funny jokes. Movie quotes. Among other things, people. We are on the second wave. We initially sold out like a month ago, and we have released a second wave of tickets. If you want more info on this, powerathletehq.com symposium. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, another fucking event. No, this is l- unlike this anything This is the else.
2: premier event in strength in symposium, and con- in symposium, strength conditioning
1: yeah this is the premier symposium in strength, <laughs> strength and conditioning, conditioning. In. right in. so what's great is we have two different speaker formats which i think is absolutely unique to anything that at least tex has gone to because i haven't fucking done anything but not only do we have kind of the podium set up guys like rob wolf are going to blow your mind stand at a podium show you some <laughs> slides all sorts of good shit but then we have a different format called our Talk To Me Johnny, where John sits around his long table here and just talks about whatever the fuck comes up. It's going to be audience participation. He sits down with a guy like Rudy Reyes.
3: Oh, my God. And we try to cap them.
1: For ninety minutes, and that is try a fr- is yes. the key
2: word. Uh, we can only what? hope to contain yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, you can't stop Rudy. You can only hope to contain him.
1: But this is an unvi- I'm telling you, this is going to be a big year. Already, year yet.
2: He already told me that uh, he wants to do it uh, nude. Okay, so we're easy. Just, we yeah, can do yeah, that. It's, it's going to be strange, <laughs> yeah. but we're just going to get naked, and you know who who knows what happens.
1: He'll fit right in. We're naked right now, people. And listen, it's it's kind of pricey. It's two hundred fifty bucks. Spoiler alert. But here's the good news: we're not just going to party barge or buy a party barge with all this money. Okay, Hoff he, Rossman. He,
2: he, he, Hoff <laughs> did uh, Hoff Rossman order some equipment yeah. uh, gear the other day? Yeah, he's a real person, it's and not me. And he donated
3: to Wade's, and he's from Texas. I, again, I think it's you. <laughs>
2: well, no, I don't know who the address he sent it to.
3: I have his Yeah, I we have, have his, his address. address. We'll go knock on we his door. We can drive there. Listen, is, is we, it here in
2: Austin?
1: Uh, no, it's, it's Houston, I think.
3: It's around Houston. Yeah,
1: we digress, people. Who, Here's d- where the cash did, goes. Did you, we are,
2: did, did you rent an apartment in Houston? Just to pull this no. thing off, to take this a little it, bit farther. It is a P.O. box. No. <laughs> you guys are going too far. You guys are setting up P.O. boxes around the globe so you can be like, Huff Rossman's in Thailand. Party barge. He's <laughs> <laughs> party barge, Lake Austin. <laughs> he
3: rode his party barge from Lake Austin all the way to freaking
2: Philippines. Uh, listen, people, party barge bring thing. it
1: back in. Oh, Here's the beautiful thing about this Power Athletes Symposium. Not only do you get to be a part of a... a a huge network of coaches who are like minded. Not only do you get to hear some world class speakers, the smartest folks in our Rolodex, but the investment that you make to get, enter into this deal, all proceeds are going to our 501c3 charity, Wade's Army, which is in the heat of our, uh, our, our, fundraising cycle right now yeah, with, with shirt sales right yeah
2: the the shirts are uh, you know in years past we had a kind of a big shirt drive leading up to wade's day which is uh no or sorry uh november 12 11 12 yeah 11 12 and uh, but th- this year we've changed up the format a little bit so we're going to extend the shirts out a little bit just because we got a little bit of a late start and uh you know we're just looking to try to rally as much as we can and get as much uh, support and You know, getting as many people wearing the shirts and uh, just doing some great fundraising for uh, the fight against pediatric cancer.
3: And at the recording, we are 40 days out from Wade's Day. And so there is no hard deadline. Previous years, we had that hard deadline. Now Mm. we've set up an online shop. And it's continued. Streamlined, baby. Yeah, so talk to people. If you are interested, you are a gym owner, you are a gym member, you are a gym coach, and you're interested in running an event, whether it's Saturday, Sunday thing, we have a host page. So mm-hmm. click wadesarmy.org, go all the way down to the bottom, and you'll see a host page, and we'll send you a poster, banner. We'll send you information cards and do whatever you can. But the most powerful tool that you have is you. Mm-hmm. So if you need information, Wade's Army Instagram. I post a fact every week. I highlight one of the children. We've twel- helped 12 families, so I highlight one family a week leading up to uh, Wade's, Wade's day. Mm-hmm. and then highlight the trials so we actually over the past six years this thing's been going on have funded five phase one clinical trials so that provides treatment for kids that would not otherwise have it so we are using our power for good but our power comes from you so get involved.
1: And here's the thing, right? I just, I knew this fucking article was going to pop up in my feed, obviously because Google and Facebook and Instagram just track what I do and they feed me the information I want to hear.
3: conspiracy is, is, is so, theorist? Is, is this want to hub thing?
1: No, that's a different thing. Oh, okay. But, uh, different network. <laughs> there was something that popped up that's uh, some, I don't want to, I'll say mayor, don't fucking quote me. Someone came out and said that relative to that basically Red Cross did not fucking show up relative to the investments made into the Red Cross for yes. Harvey, Um so right?
2: I, I think they raised, uh, well, not for Harvey, but I know in Puerto Rico, or sorry, not in Puerto Rico, so, Ro- in, in Haiti, they raised... Well, there was
1: that, but then this came out about specifically Houston. Like, hey, they were there for a little bit, but they fucking, there was no, no presence there for when they needed them, right? So here's what I'm getting at. The frustrating part is I would definitely fucking donate to Red Cross if I knew that my financial contribution was going to a specific effort, right? But we don't know that. And listen, listen, Red Cross does amazing things. Don't fucking come at us with that shit. Here's what I'm saying is you have an opportunity to do when you donate on wadesarmy.org is you select the pool where your cash goes to, right? And that's Fucking awesome. You could select to contribute to families uh, in need. You can select to contribute to the phase one clinical trials. You can select to uh, contribute to the infrastructure here at Wade's Army. Or you just let us know hey, you guys put my cash where you think you need it. We need it most. So we got that going for us, which is nice. And you can have confidence in your fucking donation and you're helping kids who who otherwise wouldn't get help and helping families that are being torn apart by being uprooted from wherever they are possibly to get one of these 11 treatment centers in the u.s right so people get involved that's our spiel on that anything else we want to talk
2: about Mm, well um after uh having the block one um any thoughts or uh ideas i mean I thought it'd be kind of neat to reflect a little bit back. You know, we've had a couple weeks since we obviously ran our first, you know, our our methodology courses and culminated with our first block one. For those of you guys that aren't regular listeners, Mm -hmm. uh, we have our, you know, power athlete methodology course that's going on right now. And then once they get done with that, the uh, people that pass that course can come for a physical sitting here in Austin, Texas, to go through our block one and actually earn their physical block and to be a power athlete block one coach. And uh, we put, you know, 14 guys through and uh, ended up passing about 10 of them. Or exactly, exactly ten ten. of them, yeah, which is just over 70%, which is pretty good passing. And the guys that showed up did a great job, and the guys who didn't pass, uh, it was a narrow margin. And you know, they've already booked their time to come back and earn their block. We got them sitting here waiting, yeah, they're for crushing them. it now. So I think, um, you know, really doing that, and I've just had time to reflect and you know, think about uh, you know, how we could have prepped them better, or more importantly, what I could have done, and then also. You know how to increase the experience so i think it's uh it, it was a, a an incredible learning experience for everybody involved and uh i'm excited for the next one which we are having the number two in january in january mm-hmm. so yeah we're, we're running a little mock one here in december for the guys that are coming from europe for the uh symposium for the symposium so i'm excited to see those guys come in and i'm just really excited to start working with people and You know, see people really soak up the methodology and hear these coaches and how they're actively using it and really growing and taking the technology to the next level. So it's been it's been really exciting to see all the groups and how people are really working through it. Yeah. But our next course, our next
3: semester opens up
2: on December 1st
3: with registration November
1: 1, November 1, which is just fucking weeks around the corner. And we'll probably come back to coaches development because people we have a guest today on this radio. It's not just about us, even though it is. Sorry. (laughs) But we have. Sean Waxman on the line. Sean, what's up? Hey guys,
4: thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> so, Sean, tell tell our listeners what you do, man. I mean, besides uh, uh, you know being known for your your socks with sandals nationwide, global your global fashion brand. Um, what else you got going on for you?
4: Well, we have a little gym here in Southern California, <laughs> Waxman's Gym, and uh, we turn out very good weightlifters. In uh, in uh from my gym, so we've uh, been doing this for uh, seven or eight years in the, with with uh, this weightlifting gym, and before that, I was a strength and conditioning coach at uh, every level, and realized that uh, I need to get the hell out of there and start uh, my own thing. Uh, and uh, I, it, this is my this has always been my passion, so I I'm just really. Blessed to be able to be doing what I love to do. So uh, we have a uh, weightlifting. It's not a weightlifting only gym, and we I do still do some strength and conditioning. But the majority of people that come to come to us are coming to us to learn the of clean, and jerk either for uh, to improve their uh, in their CrossFit or to actually compete in weightlifting or just to embark on their fitness journey uh, with uh, weightlifting instead of their regular. Uh, some of the other options available to them, I should say. It's, uh, I should say.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's going to be a natural progression too, because we were talking a little bit about our methodology course and our block one. Uh, yeah, we'll kind of b- bounce back to that. But when you start churning out legit athletes, you're going to have coaches who want to you know pop the hood and see what's going on and maybe learn, right? So so we talked a little bit before the show about coaches development as well. How was that? Was that just a natural progression, as something you knew you're going to get into from the start, or people just started knocking on the door, and you're like, "Well, this guy seems fucking legit. Let's see uh, if we can't make this guy a better coach."
4: Well, you know, the the issue came to me when we would start to get we were we were getting calls from gyms saying, "Hey, you know, we my coaching staff they're all using different methodologies, different ways of teaching athletes." and it was a problem for them so that kind of hit hit my radar and we wanted to be able to create a method a methodology that an entire coaching staff can can learn and everybody in the building can be on the same page so we wanted to and this is not just with crossfit gyms it's with health clubs it's with anybody that has a collection of coaches in which they teach clients. Uh, so we wanted to provide create a, 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 an educational methodology that one organization can implement to all their coaches and have everybody on the same page. So that's what we've been doing for, uh, over a year and we've had some good success with it. Uh, we have, uh, we have we just had one a few months ago, and um, it was it, it was great, and we, it, we've gotten some really good feedback, and uh, similar pass rate to what John had mentioned with his. And uh, uh, every time we're we're working it and tweaking it to make sure that we're providing uh, the, the best quality that we can provide to them. So it's we it's a three day course, it's fifteen hours, it's um, it's our methodology, and it's a step by step a process on how to get somebody to do snatch or clean and jerk and how to teach the snatch or clean and jerk with vocabulary and 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 process and it's
2: it's uh it's been eight years in development so whoa well uh, and and sean knows this i mean i've seen so many people teach the snatch clean and jerk uh poorly um, <laughs> and then really asking like i mean it and you know and i know um it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I mean, you, you know, usually the more complex people make it, uh, the less they seem to know. Like uh, yes. probably, uh, you know, one of the greatest cues I got, like, and I'm, I, I'm trying to even remember where I, uh, who told me, but it was a, a pretty high-level high, high level lifter made a point to me once. Uh, actually, I don't even think he was an American. Uh, made a point that uh, you just need to pull the bar longer. He's like, most people <laughs> don't pull the bar as long as they need to. Think about pulling Sounds as Russian. as you can. I think it was a Russian guy that said it yeah. to me. And uh, he said the point like, You know, the difference is, is, uh, you know, nobody pulls the bar as long as they think they need to. So pull it a little bit longer. And, um, you know, and that's why, you know, we started really teaching, you know, the power claim power snatch was because people were effectively always kind of, you know, and I used to hear this shit all the time. It was like, oh, you're missing hip extension. You didn't get triple extension. And it was like people wanted to always throw these terms on. Right. It just looked like pull the bar as long as you can Mm -hmm. and, you know, catch it, you know, catch it in a good position. And then the other big one, too, was, uh, you know, we always went back and forth with this idea, like, like, how do you start? Do you start from the ground up or do you teach it from the top right. down? And I was always taught from the top down. You know, we taught, you know, like, let me teach you bar path and then go from the hang down to the knees and, and kind of go there. Cause people seem to get this weird amnesia the minute the bar goes around their knees <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of deal. So it was, it was pretty interesting, especially, you know, cause we were taught one way. Um, uh, you know, Todd Rice, who was my strength coach in college taught us and he taught us one way. And then when I came out and got involved with the CrossFit, it was like, I'm, never seen so many people teach this so many different ways in in just kind of an idea like I want to have my own little put my own little spin on so I'm going to teach this way and it just the end of the day man it, it shouldn't be as complicated as it well, is
1: and the bigger problem too is like as you get into the micro gym environment you're probably owner operator and as you progress what do you end up doing you hire some coaches so you can get right. some fucking breathing room and then that coach may or may not have experience so now the onus is on the owner to create a common thread or common methodology or common platform to coach off of but that doesn't happen if you're fortunate enough to get somebody who's coached before so now they bring their flavor and if you get a third person what you ultimately have is kind of three different brands of coaching and there's no continuity right. in the experience, and that can be confusing to members who don't fucking like guys well, like Dino.
2: But 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 the other thing too is when you you know you're talking about uh, you know let's say a CrossFit gym as an example, um, you know even though if you look at the CrossFit methodology, Olympic lifting is a big piece of it. You know how much time and effort do they really put into like the development and the mastery of of the skill? Because I mean mm-hmm. you, you know you think about. Uh, I made the observation once that um, Olympic lifting is a really shitty way to get strong, if you're if you're a weak person because you can't or not a good Olympic or, lifter or not a good Olympic lifter proficient. Now, right? now if you're proficient, you know how to pull the bar and your skill level's high. It's an incredible way to develop strength. But the problem is, is, uh, you know, people don't necessarily get stronger Olympic lifting because their technique, it becomes a limiting factor mm-hmm. and they don't want to necessarily put their ego and check their ego to the point where you're going to learn to pull the bar and they're going to do the thousands of reps and, uh, you know, all the drills and skills that it takes to do it. People just want to load the bar up and just by any means necessary.
4: Well, that's why, you know, in, 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 reasonable development, you know, in preparation, it's squatting, it's pressing, it's pulling, it's, you know, it's, it's all the basic strength training first. To 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 your point, John, to to build a base and you know be and I, I call anything that's not like a snatch or clean and jerk, uh, anything that's not that is, I don't mean static in meaning still. It's just not dynamic like yes. a snatch or clean. So it's de- developing strength statically before you develop it dynamically is the key to to continuing your progress. Um, you can't e- because even with great athletes that are weak, they move well, they move fast, and they're powerful, and that's a that's going to hurt them in their development because they're throwing the bar around so
2: quickly. Yet they don't have the uh they don't have the strength to be able to support the weight in those positions. Well, that uh, all comes down to what I call tinsel strength, which comes from you know steel. Like how strong is the steel? Yes. And I, I made this observation when I came to the CrossFit deal. I mean. You know, you think about, uh, you know, we give the analogy so often about the samurai sword, how many times it's folded and how, you know, it's heated Mm -hmm. over a course of a number of days. And uh, when I came to the CrossFit thing, I mean, people were fairly strong and they moved fairly well, but they always really lacked all this kind of what I just referred to as tensile strength, like at the bottom of a squat. And they always be like, ah, you know, like I, you know, I can't support the weight, you know, my back moves. Like, how come yours don't? And I'm like, because I've been doing this for fucking 20 years right. of my life. <laughs> I've been under heavy loads. Like, but the only way that you can do that, like, you're never going to develop that tensile strength in five or six or even seven, you know, a, a year or even two. That takes. Sure decades of doing this you know uh you know, regularly yeah r- regularly right and you know and that's the only way i mean you, you got to heat it you got to fold it you got to cool it and it's got to happen and it can't happen overnight
1: and it's regular overload so if you find yourself in an environment where it's just submaximal repeated reps to get fucking sizzly and lay down on the floor and every eight to twelve days you do a strength workout then you're that's going to prolong how long it takes to actually build the rigidity at those maximal loads so when you go balls of wall on a, the how violent a pool is through the Olympic lift, I'm told, okay, you need that rigidity, that tensile strength to actually be proficient, right? So well, it's just, this like self-defeating fucking
2: prophecy. If you're not moving heavy weights. Well, you also think too, I mean, one of the greatest ways to develop that tensile strength is with eccentric loads. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if you're not doing any type of heavy type movements that are, you know, because if you think, I mean, and Sean, we could probably argue the finer point to this, but I would say that the uh, for a, a, a lifter, there is a reduced, not nearly as high, uh, eccentric component of the Olympic lifts, and probably if it is, you're not doing it right. Um, you know, so you think about, like, uh, you know, yeah, they're doing snatch clean and jerk, but are they doing all like, you know, because I I count everything in, in Olympic lifting that's not snatch clean and jerk as accessory. So squatting mm-hmm. accessory front. I mean, oh, all that stuff is accessory. I movements. agree 100%. So, I mean, I remember like years ago, Bergner and I were sitting there and we were talking about some Olympic lifting programming. I was showing him and he was getting rid of all this stuff and it ended up looking like just snatch clean and jerk. And I was like, where's all the accessory stuff? And he's like, oh, well, you know, these guys need technique. And I'm like, dude, I disagree. Like, yeah, they need technique, but you can't develop the skill of technique out of cohesion or kind of like out of balance with developing their accessory strength type work. So we'll I see. agree
4: 100%. I mean, I have a hundred and I, I, I choose from a pool of 138 exercises, roughly 136 of them are not the natural cleanager. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and the majority of the training, especially early in the training year uh, in the training cycle is mostly not snatch and clean and jerk.
1: Yeah. So when you say early in the training cycle, do you mean like adoption, early in adopting the well, like a, a weightlifting deal, or is that just kind of quad?
2: Yeah. He probably works on like the like in most, and, and I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but like most Olympic lifters kind of work on this kind of quad thing, where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, you know, and even if you're not training for the Olympics, like the idea of like worlds or you know, and I'm sure you even do yeah. this with, with your lower level athletes, like you know, this event's coming up and you might not compete in it, but we're still going to put you in to get you ready for the training cycle.
4: Yes. Yeah. Cause it's, it's better to organize training that way because if you have a whole team uh, peaking around the same time, or at least most of the team, it makes the the, the design of the training design uh, a little bit easier to implement because you're not doing two or three totally different uh, 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 programs. You know, it's a similar template. Uh, and you can make changes based on the athlete. With my elite, with my athletes, I have yeah, athletes getting ready for Worlds. They're on a totally different, you know, they're at a totally different level. So the, the training is going to be totally different. But, uh,
2: and you know, w- it's. What's funny, too, is Olympic lifting, you know, like they, um, I always laugh at it because it's, it, you know, it's an individual sport. But yet they train, you know, there's such a team mentality because you almost need a team of people. Yeah, to mutual yes. accountability. Should, well, mutual accountability, but shared suffering. Yeah, yes. being like uh, I need to make sure there's five other people here doing this fucking shit because we're doing singles at this, and it's like you almost need like a support group, shared yes. suffering, feeling like we're going in this together, even though you know. And then when you get on the platform, it's you, but you also want to feel the support of that thing. So I mean, it's uh, it, it's interesting in that way.
4: Yeah, it's. I mean, weightlifting is a team sport during training and an individual sport and competition. I mean, that's really how it uh, how it uh, unfolds. Um, but uh, I use. A large variety of exercises up until the competition uh, block and the competition block is going to vary uh, in size depending upon where we're at. But uh, before the competition block, it, there are a uh, majority of the exercises are supplemental exercises. Now, supplemental exercise being, you know, snatched from the boxes. I mean, that's still a, it's still a supplement, a supplemental exercise. Cause it's not a full it's not it's not a full snatch. But uh, that's the way training has to be, especially with drug-free athletes, because you have to sw- you have to move the stress around. You have to provide different stress because what that allows you to do is keep the intensity fairly high if you're changing the stresses around. I mean, it's look, people bash Lee Simmons, and I've been you know one of those in in, in a little bit. Uh, uh, I've done it, but the big picture concepts of that style of training
2: are, um, are reasonable. Uh, I mean, mean, that's a conjugate system, you know, being able to, you know, alternate movements so you can continue to train at a high intensity. I mean, and that's, you know, like if you look at Relative to
1: the movement or the equipment, right? Well,
2: yeah. But I mean, if you look at like the Russians, uh, you know, who, you know, first came up with the conjugate system, I mean, when I think they had like 235 exercises that they would use in rotation I mean, that we're all developing some piece of the, you know, it right. was all, you know, individually kind of based, you know, certain people did certain things, you know, on the other side, then you look at like the Bulgarians that had five and, uh, right. you know, and <laughs> I mean. But, just- but, but people forget, you know, those
4: guys didn't train, didn't get to that point by just doing snatch, clean and jerk, front squat, back squat, power, snatch mm-hmm. and power, clean and jerk.
2: No, they were, you know, at that point they were specialists to the point where, you know, and you also got to remember, I mean, you were talking a pool of what, about 3 million people in Bulgaria and they, you know, ended up with like five champions and 90% of everybody else died. So, I mean, (laughs) you know, like it it just, you know, and then, uh, you know, and here's another thing, and you you brought it up earlier. I mean, what people forget is, uh, uh, you know, drugs are, uh, you know, for, for weightlifting, just like powerlifting. Are a very vital component in terms of recovery and getting them through, and it's been uh, uh, pretty interesting, you know, just sitting back and watching some of the stuff. I mean, I know Sean's pretty vocal about, uh, you know, some of the the, yeah. you know, the doping things that have been happening with, um, you know, like uh, these, you know, systematic countrywide drug programs that are designed to not only help their athletes but also evade detection. And it's like these countries are on the side of the athlete, whereas in here in the U.S., they're like fucking trying to throw you to the wolves at all the times. So.
4: Yeah, it's very true. Um, you know, I've been exploring uh, the last two years, reading, uh, oh, really spending my attention on um, physiology and biochemistry uh, and talking to people that are much smarter in that world than I am. And I do believe that with a proper system, you can get similar effects in tra- training without that. that how we look at the training structure needs to change uh, because everything that we know uh, comes from a, a longitudinal uh, research that was done on athletes that were taking drugs. I think that you know you can't you're not going to throw out what, what what the information that we have. But I think at the highest levels, there's some nuanced uh, changes that we could make in the
2: training structure and the training design, well, along well, with well, careful monitoring. Well, we uh, saw that with like Perlopin's chart, you know, I mean, right. they went in and took this, you know, this idea and people use that as this gold standard of reps to percentages and the whole deal. And like, you know, you have to remember that pool was a, a large right. pool, but it was all pulled from drug free athlete or right. uh, from drug using athletes. Exactly. Uh, so and- like. You know, and and I'm sure, Sean, you've seen this, too. I mean, we've brought in athletes, and we always kind of used to mess with, uh, you know, Hatfield's muscle fiber test, you know, Mm -hmm. have somebody work up to 1RM, cut it to 80% and do max reps. And, like, we would historically get people come in, and, you know, I'd probably get, like, maybe five or six. We'd have people get 20 and 30 reps. And you're thinking to yourself, you're like, dude, this is, you know, are these outliers? Or is it just the fact that, you know, that the pool that it was taken from wasn't, you know, wasn't the clearest of pools, I guess you could say. Sean, right. what, is, what is your approach for
3: selecting percentages or intensities for your athletes? So we know that a lot of inexperienced coaches go to, go to those charts, but those charts are set up based off drug use athletes or and, just different and, countries. Well, so. But you
2: also have to remember that they're highly uh, highly trained athletes. Right. So yes. we know that guys that have, you know, the drugs increase the central nervous system efficiency and they're also more training volume, more central, yes. nervous, central nervous system efficiency. So these guys were highly efficient athletes. So, you know, obviously the, uh, and I remember Louis Simmons made this comment to me. He said, because um, I was asking him about rep ranges, he was like, hey, you know, I want you to take uh, 10 singles at 90% when I was out there. And I was like, well, how? you know, and I asked, just like, how come I got to take ten singles at ninety, and these guys only get four? He's like, well, they're on, you know, they're on a lot of drugs, and the, <laughs> dr- the drug free lifter needs more volume, which is yes. kind of counterproductive, or like it kind of counterintuitive. One. But he said that the drug free lifter needs more, uh, more opportunity, more reps, and more volume, yes, because they don't get as much out of each lift
0: as. That's the exact.
2: Lifter. That's one hundred percent
4: correct. One hundred percent correct. So, to, to your to your point, your question is: so when you start an athlete, uh, when they train, the most important thing, the most important thing for every exercise, is you have to establish a uh, an understanding of what the the rhythm and the tempo uh, and the 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 actual. Um, technique of the lift should look like so so each lift should have a squat should look like a certain like the, the same way every time for us we want it down slow and controlled and we want to come up quickly uh, you go you you train as as high of intensity as you can for the amount of reps and sets as long as uh, uh, as long as you the, the only thing that can't vary is the rhythm of the lift speed of the lift and the technique mm. of the lift. So from day to day this is where it gets a little tricky and 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 where where a coach actually has to be present paying attention. You know from day to day those numbers are going to fluctuate. So if you're if you're doing three sets of two and it's supposed to be at a 90% effort, you know you know in your head what a 90% effort is supposed to look like. So you have to on a daily basis you have to make those adjustments to make sure that the athlete is 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 uh is maximizing their time by doing the movement exactly the way it's supposed to be supposed
3: to look and that is how we judge intensity have you had the opportunity to use any technologies that are coming out so i know there's some spartan jump mats and other things and john in college used to use just the vertical jump
2: yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Todd Rice always had this big deal on uh, vertical jump that he thought that if you brought somebody in, um, you know, 100%, um, you know, prepared, you know, rested, that their vertical jump uh, would be a good benchmark for weather, for recovery. And, um, you know, the problem, though, is with Olympic lifting, and it's just kind of like, um, you really have to almost change your mindset a little bit, you know, versus something like football, where uh, I have to be ready on a single day to be able to go out and have this maximum performance. And we right. think, like, maybe a, a you know, competition gives you a 15%, let's say. Like, mm-hmm. if I can move at, you know, uh, 80% is as, as my you know, practice speed when I go into the game, I can move at this, like, what we call game speed. And it's, you know, the field unis and, the, you know, all the other stuff. But I think with Olympic lifting, you almost have to keep an athlete at a certain almost fatigue level. Yes. Uh, where, like, they do, like, a high, you know, and if you ever watch, a, you know, high-level Olympic lifters, I mean, those guys are doing singles and some, you know, they'll cut volume, but they don't cut intensity going into certain, you know, going into their yes. uh, uh, their meets. And the reason being is that they almost, like, need kind of, I guess it's a, a more, I guess more like a plateau more than a, sp- a spike because if they spike too much, then, then uh, all of a sudden it messes up the speed, it messes up the progression, and it messes up what they kind of do. And uh, Sean's talking about like a rhythm. And uh, you can watch like – I mean, I, I love watching Olympic lifting, especially in during the Olympics. Uh, you watch the guys that almost like – on the first one, like they're a little too excited or they uh, – uh, a little too fresh and they overpull the bar and it messes up their timing and they miss the jerk or it bounces too much on them. And it's always like when they come back after they've settled in and they get back into the rhythm that it all of a sudden starts looking better and they do better.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's right. And, 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 and to your point, you know, one of the other benefits of making sure everything is perfect is that there is no other uh, movement pattern in their brain other than perfect. Mm -hmm. So when they are unconscious out on the platform, and when they have to draw from their unconscious to 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 lift this heavy weight, there's only one uh, pattern they're drawing from, and that's this perfect pattern that they've practiced thousands of times before. So there's there's a there's other benefits to doing it perfectly, and you know if you're other than the very general preparation, when you start getting into special preparation blocks you're using uh, movements that will mimic in some way the snatch or the clean and jerk. Uh, so the, if you're not perfect in those movements, then you're practicing a part of the snatch or clean and jerk incorrectly. Hmm. So it's really important uh, when when you're in the, you know, like in general preparation, when you're running and jumping, that's different. Uh, you don't want to overcoach then. You want people to have fun and, and, and relax uh, while they're exercising. But when it comes when they're in the gym and they're doing lifts, every lift that you prescribe has to have some connection to the snatch and clean Therefore, you have to do it exactly like you want it done in competition.
1: To maximize that skill
4: transfer, absolutely. And you know, as far as uh, you know, I'm a big. I wish I had access to a lab that I could test my athletes every day. Not drug testing. I'm saying blood work mm-hmm. and. Just to, to say, you know, what their current state is, what the, what, what's their cortisone levels, what are their creatinine levels, what are these, you know, these stress markers. But we can't, I can't do that yet. I'm working on it. Well, but, uh, uh, there, nice. there's, uh, there's
2: a, a pretty interesting research. They had a deal where they were, um, uh, did all that stuff. And uh, they actually paired it against like some like uh, surveys. So Mm -hmm. they'd ask people, like, how are you feeling today? And they had, like, you know, four or five questions. And then they were able to kind of pair it up with all this, uh, you know, different, like, you know, neurological testing. And they would, you know, do blood work and whatever. And they found that actually there were some matrix that you could use that were just as valuable. Like, uh, I think it was like a three or four questions, like, how are you feeling today? How did you sleep? You know, did you, you know, like, it was just some, you know, like, what's your state of well-being? uh you know just some questions but other things like testing grip strength so we would do that one right the, um uh was it the torque no not the torque meter the uh i always forget or, the name of it. The, it. The, the, uh,
4: uh not ergometer.
2: yeah it's uh, um fuck, uh, yep so we'd go in and, and we had tested uh you know when we were fresh what you know uh, the amount of force that you can develop um you know and that's a great sign of central nervous system efficiency and also how you know how willing you are to train uh and then the other one was the vertical jump so having some of these things like uh you can kind of almost back into them and and you know todd rice loved the vertical jump for this and he was like hey if uh if your vertical jump was off and the grip was off and you weren't feeling good then you know what then uh today might not be an advantageous day to train as hard but the problem became uh with football players like Hmm. you gotta do it you (laughs) you gotta do it you gotta fucking do it and uh you know so like it almost became like a uh you know a good exercise in a lot of ways in the off season, but we didn't do it much or any of it at, at, during the season. Cause it's like, you're going to feel like shit. You, but well, you know what you got to find, right. you got to, you got to dig deep and there's, there's no way to peak for something that comes every seven days. Whereas, you know, for you guys that are, uh, sure. you know, doing, um, you know, like a, a deal. I mean, these guys are, you know, I'm sure Sean's sitting back there, you know, like Dr. Evil, trying to plan exactly to hit the right stride and use super compensation and all these other different training principles to get exactly peaked at the right moment, but also, you know, fatigued enough to where they, you know, aren't feeling, you know, extra froggy, I guess you could say.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think, you know, from, for me, you know, for managing fatigue, in, in my weightlifters, especially my, 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 uh, my elite ones, I I'm a very big believer in, um, baseline waking heart rate variability. Uh, so I look at, I have them take their heart rate as they wake and we have a baseline, you know, you know what their resting heart rate should be. And, uh, I'm looking to keep them in, you know, when, when we're in the special, uh, the, uh, the, uh, special preparation, um, I'm, I'm looking at between six and 10 beats per minute increase. That's, that's where I want them to be. If they're above that, if they're 10, uh, if they're 10 to 16 or 16 and above, then they're, they're too fatigued. If they're, if they're six or under, they're not, uh, there's, they need more stress. So, and that's been a real heart variability has been a really uh, interesting way to manage and to calculate fatigue. Uh, So I've had some good luck with that.
2: Have have you done anything to like, uh, try to, uh, you know, almost mess with it a little bit? I mean, uh, Joel Jameson sent me over their heart rate variability. yep, And I, I, I toyed with it and toyed with it and figured out that if I could do 20 minutes of uh, aerobic work at 70% of my heart rate uh, right before bed, regardless of what I did for my training, I would always wake up in the green zone. Really, and uh, and and that's what really got me started on. I mean, I I always thought the idea of building aerobic base was just fucking horse shit. I thought it was, uh, you know, <laughs> some shit that uh, you know Mackenzie ripped off from fucking Paul or uh, from um, uh, Romanoff, and it was some you know nonsense. Something to build tr-
1: or sell treadmills uh, and Nordic yeah, tracks. It, it just <laughs> didn't. F- Did it, it, awesome it, was a Nordic track? You remember just, that shit? It
2: felt like bullshit to me, and, uh, and and for years I always said, you know, aerobic works a fucking scam and uh when we got in and you know i i I talked to joel and he sent me their deal and uh i started kind of playing with it and um you know you talk about parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous Mm -hmm. systems and i kind of dove into that and um i was like you know what let me try this uh, building an aerobic base all of a sudden like uh just basically doing just basic uh you know aerobic work on an assault bike all of a sudden everything's green my training went up and i started realizing that the value of building an aerobic base for power athletes was huge and totally underrepresented and nobody was really keeping that narrative and um that's why i was going to ask you know uh, um, that might be something to throw in especially for your athletes being oh we do
4: we have long blocks of of conditioning and some of it's done outside of the gym if it's nice I, i want people outside in the sun as much as possible during those times uh so it's soccer and you know things that are games but also after that, that, after that very general preparation, we bring them inside and we I do a lot of timed uh, complexes you know, power snatch, bar neck push press, overhead squat, three plus three plus three, uh, uh, two minutes in between each set. Then each week, I'll uh, I'll decrease the amount of rest. Uh, so I am a huge believer in that. I think you start the year with. Uh, like it, we'll have for most of the lifters at december or after the americans will be will be off and then we start back up in january we'll depending upon what meets people are getting ready for you know we'll do four to six weeks of that and then we'll uh and during the training blocks uh, subsequent to that we'll do timed i'll do timed rest with uh squatting and snatching and cleaning jerks to 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 keep that conditioning and then in the middle of the year, I'll do another short, uh, general preparation block of, of conditioning. It's, it's, it's conditioning. It's just, it just looks like, well, it's I just, mean, the Sean, I guess,
1: uh, have you noticed, there's no doubt that the training itself, you know, just based off the stimulus of the rep schemes and loads. And, uh, you know, these guys are proficient with this movement pattern is very dominant in kind of that, that CNS, right? Yes. So, um, Do you notice that letting those guys go out and use it in the wild, let's say soccer or some open nonlinear sport that has lateral movement, rotational movement, sprinting at maximal velocities, these types of things allow them to continually kind of progress and, uh, and keep that sponge uh, soakable, so to speak. It it helps elevate that, that movement efficiency so that they can, it kind of lends, they work off one another, right?
4: Absolutely. You have to include, different movements in the training you know you have to it can't be just up and down
1: mm-hmm. but people get romanticized with it right and they, that's all they want to fucking do
4: well it's they'll never be great and that's fine we'll beat them all the time i don't have a problem with that <laughs> but it's yeah i mean just because you're weightlifting just because it's snatch or clean and jerk it doesn't mean that it's not that you're not an athlete and you're not athletic
1: mm-hmm.
4: you know you have to be athletic and you have to train athletically other than so, snatch a and jerk you have to go out and play basketball and soccer and you have to run and jump and throw shit and so, so what you're so saying-, saying
2: is that uh that i mean and this is pretty interesting that uh uh i mean and i've always said this uh great athletes will display uh, amazing things in terms of olympic lifting but in terms of developing athletes with primarily just using Olympic lifting, Mm -hmm. it's not a complete science. No, it's never been a complete, it's never a complete, I mean I don't know what people are thinking. No, but I mean uh, all the time, I mean the narrative going around and you know this, uh, dude, uh, you know Olympic lifting is the gold standard in terms of developing athleticism and athletic With with certain
1: coaches now Sean, hey, so I've I've said this before and I've really ruffled feathers, it's not meant to be a derogatory comment, but relative to the, the complexities of the movements in basketball Mm-hmm. The Olympic lifts are really not that complicated. No,
2: not at all. They're not complicated so, at all. I don't know. So what how pe- do I
1: say that and not piss people off? Well, well oh. so
2: so so I feel like there's there's a few truths, right? the The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that um work capacity was equal to athleticism. Mm-hmm. And the other <laughs> one is that, uh, you know you have to move your feet in terms of like you just can't like you know stay in a, you know and you do move your feet you know slightly in olympic lifting you know from a pole into a squatting position but i mean in terms of like moving in space if you're just in a you know straight up and down something that you can do in a doorway mm-hmm. you're not developing an unlocking athletic potential in the way right. in which we understand it to be so it's like uh, Olympic lifting is an incredible way to display.
1: It's a know. highly technical pattern.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and, but and, relatively simple. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, you take a look at um, who who's the guy who uh, works with Bergner, who teaches uh, uh, Chad Vaughn had mm-hmm. uh, like a mm-hmm. club foot, and is you know went on to be a high level Olympic lifter and whatever. Mm-hmm. And when, when we were rapping about it, he's like, I, I, "This is what I had to do. I couldn't play a ton of sports at a high level because of you know uh, you know this you know how the you know the way I was born." But very proficient Olympic lifter. Yeah. So,
4: I think that um, if, when I, as a strength and conditioning coach, when I, when I was, I, th- I look at uh, strength and conditioning as a pie, and there is, or, or a, a big rocks. What big kind rocks. of pie are we talking? Like
2: an apple pie, a cherry <laughs> pie, a pumpkin pie? Do not hair let pie. it be pecan Bavarian. No, green.
1: It's a, it's a hair pie. It's, uh, <laughs> um, oh, oh, hmm. I'm in delicious
4: <laughs> um better yet it's a it's a it, it's an empty jar with a box full of all different kind of size rocks and I think that um uh, Olympic weightlifting uh, are the biggest rocks and I think if you're going to fill that jar most efficiently you you've, you fill it with first the the Olympic lifts and then I think that I don't think you train athleticism in the weight room. I think you improve athletic qualities, strength, power, rate of force development. I think that uh, the athleticism is trained on the field. I think it's trained with within the sport or the framework of the sport. I think that um, in the, the the weight room is a place to get. Uh, strong and powerful. Uh, I don't, I don't believe, although I think athletes should be doing a ton of different types of movements. I don't believe that the weight room is the, a place to do a ton of multi-planar movements. Uh, I think that, uh, you should do that outside with, uh, medicine balls and things like that. Uh, but the primary purpose of the strength and conditioning coach should be to improve, uh, the the most important uh, fitness qualities in sport it's the ability to to get from point A to point B before your opponent and that that you create that by being able to produce a very strong impulse against the ground to move your body in cyclical sports like running the the idea uh, the purpose of strength and conditioning is to improve average power. The purpose in acyclical sports like a like a shot putter or something like that, or even in a football play, which is a little bit of a mix, mm-hmm. is uh, is peak power, the ability to to to, uh, to, to produce a peak uh, a peak power to get from point A to point B. So it very simply, you're either you're either improving average power or you're producing you're improving peak power. That's the big picture goal for a strength conditioning coach. How you do that, what your methodology is, that's up to you. <clears throat> but as long as you're doing those things,
2: then you're doing okay. In in, in a big picture situation. Sure, sure. Well, that, I mean, that goes back to like when we were uh, working with the Training Peaks guys, them talking about the, you know, the... Power average meter. power, yeah. The power meter and developing average power being the gold standard for those guys, you know, doing endurance events. Mm-hmm. Which Absolutely. cycling is the yeah. pinnacle cyclical sport. sport? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, do you but, get it?
1: Because it's cycling, but, cyclical. But, but then Tex, no, I'm looking at your text. I'm an idiot.
2: <laughs> but then you look at something like football, and he, you know, used, uh, you know, peak. Uh, I think of like a max velocity. You know, I mean, because yes. uh you know, you think about you know power, but I think about you know the ability to move faster in every way than your opponent
1: and do it over and over and again. then be able
2: to do it over and over again. And uh, you know, which goes back to this idea, like you talked about earlier about you know special preparation. You know, and and I, I kind of always skinned it like uh, anything you can do within the walls of the gym is general preparation, uh, except for a sport like Olympic lifting, where right. actually the sport is something you do in the gym because it's you know and the crossfit too well well, the training really is the competition in football like you know we train within the, the confines of a gym and it's like there's no footballs we're not working this when we step out that gets into your you know special preparation your spp and uh that's why you know i've always and you guys know this i mean one of my personal pet peeves is uh people that do, you know, put up signs or, hey, you know, start selling sports-specific training. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, but it's in the gym. And I'm like, well, if you're doing, are you a coach? Are you, you know, t- like how you train football players? Are you teaching them how to block and tackle and whatever? They're right. like, no, oh, uh, we're doing sports-specific well, training in the gym because we're doing ladders.
1: But what and if so- we put a safety squat <laughs> bar on a guy's back and he's a lineman and we had him do, like, run his, his zone steps and everything with, like, 225? <laughs> Would that be sports-specific? Is he wearing a helmet? Yes. <sighs> but no jock jockstrap because i've tested it
2: (laughs) (laughs) which part the no helmet or the jockstrap yeah yeah yeah. Uh, well the jockstrap has has like a face mask (laughs) uh but like that you know and and that's where it just goes to show that people are using buzzwords that they don't know and they don't understand
3: this this is a topic i wanted to get into sean as well because you you're an expert and i just recommended a book to luke uh the death of expertise and there's one excerpt uh highlighted and i know a lot of olympic Sport coaches, like Olympic lifting sport coaches, they feel this. So the quote here: <clears throat> Knowing things is not the same as understanding them. Comprehension is not the same thing as analysis. Exper- expertise is not a parlor game played with factoids. So that'd be like understanding cues, mm-hmm. and then you walk into a CrossFit gym and you're just throwing them out there, mm-hmm. but you don't sure. necessarily understand the you know the finite
2: points of the sport. Well, I mean, no. but uh, the problem becomes is that I don't think people can look at things in terms of like the, the bigger picture. And, and that, that was what I used to always uh, argue with when we were, you know, uh, with the Olympic lifting stuff is like, dude, you guys want to throw like 4,000 cues at somebody that, like, that, that are so ultra technical mm-hmm. that the athlete has no fucking idea. Like, uh, And my you're favorite... not ready
1: either. Like you're not ready and they're not ready.
2: But, uh, but uh, it's like, oh, uh, you missed hip extension on that one. And you're like, okay, so how do I get hip extension? fuck i don't know like jump higher i mean it's like you know oh uh, uh you know your heels didn't come off the ground you're like a lot of people's heels don't come off the ground you know i, I just watched this uh, chinese guy pull and he actually didn't even move his feet and said it was set to, like the chinese national record on the snatch uh and the guy literally he started in a wide stance like literally his receiving position and like just went up in his you know uh went up on his toes and caught in the almost identical position and the guy you know so it's like Uh, you know but there's a situation where they're developing but I think the problem becomes is that um you know to actually cue somebody and coach them you have to have a deeper understanding of like the the movement and then you have to use one cue because there's no cue that works for everybody so like let's say you have 10 cues to get somebody to somewhere you have to figure out which one you use and how do you use them you use them all just one at a time my other personal favorite is coaches that threw like 50 things at an athlete I remember you know, getting coached and, uh, you know, telling me like 10 things. And I'm like, why don't you just give me one fucking thing to work on and see if I can do it. And then give me the second one, because if you tell me everything, I'm going to get nothing done because I don't know what the hierarchy is.
4: I've found that the more words a coach used, the less they know. So, uh, I mean, I think in some cases you should don't need any words. Just if somebody's doing something wrong, give them an exercise to fix it. Let them let them feel what they're supposed to do. Because you know, a good athlete or any athlete is going to have, most in most cases, not all, not all cases, in most cases from what I've found, if you give an athlete a movement and put them in, in a situation where it's, very, where it's very difficult to do it wrong, they'll understand it, what, you're, what you want them to do, and then you come back and bring the whole thing together. Uh, I'm not saying don't use words, but I'm saying <laughs> you don't have to use
2: words. I thought you it's, just used a lot of grunts. Don't you yeah. just run a <laughs> You know, I go I just,
1: a different route. Uh, I'm more of a hip thrust guy.
2: So well, I just yeah. hip thrust
1: twice. It means one thing. Hip you
2: once. I know you're always trying to talk to me about these tactile feedbacks. I call it, it the quagmire. In, well, It just involves <laughs> you groping and trying to rub your junk up on people's backs. Yeah, but I don't, I'm not
1: using my hands, so it's not weird. Yeah, i like got to uh, add that
2: to my coaching certification. <laughs> <laughs> How to grope your client without them knowing that you're now, groping. Now, a question
1: of etiquette. Do I give you the crotch or the
2: ass?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, it's a funny story. We had a, uh, a strength coaching college named Mike Karp. And uh, Carp used to played football, and uh, Carp used to like to coach in a real thin set of gray shorts. Oh God! And oh, uh, God. he had a technique that uh, looked like uh, molestation, and his favorite day was when the female athletes did front squats, oh, to God. the point where I walked in one day and I was like, "Somebody's going to get fucking arrested because mm-hmm. this is odd."
1: That's like when I walked into Tex coach and his uh, high school boys lacrosse team, and he's using the bottom squ- bottom spotting them on uh, front squats. You
2: mean mean him laying on his back just looking up? Yeah. Not appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: a joke, people. Don't call the fucking NSA or whoever (laughs) would enforce that shit. So, uh-huh. hey, Sean, I got a question for you. Yeah. So, we were talking about this with uh, some of our other coaches. And uh, listen, spoiler alert people, I'm not like an Olympic lifting coach here, and I don't really know anything.
2: Well, you know, there's two types of people there's people that Olympic lift, and there's Olympic lifters. Uh huh. And Sean's an Lip Olympic doesn't lifter. Do either.
1: <laughs> I don't do, I literally don't do either. No, but Sean, so we talk about, because uh, within the, the paradigm of our methodology, the maximal effort sprinting is, is paramount in terms of training. Uh, and then training the mechanics behind that, and kind of the idea that there's this kind of bell curve, some kind of best practices, right? We want aggressive knee drive. We want to maintain dorsiflexion. We want to have nice um, parasagittal arm swing, cheek to cheek, you know. And then you just kind of after that, the, over time, the athlete will develop their own sprinting technique that works optimally for them. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 caveat there is like like listen, there's a best practice, but there's no perfect necessarily, it's hard to identify a perfect mechanical uh, pattern for an athlete until they find it. Is there a carryover with the snatch and the clean and jerk, or can you say, based off of, let's say, some anthropometrics, no, this is how this guy should be doing it, and I'm going to coach him that way? It's a good question.
4: And uh, so I I think that there are certain... um, there are certain things from a mechanical standpoint that you, that, that almost uh, nearly all athletes uh, are going to have in common. And for instance, uh, and a lot of this is, is looked at st- uh, from a st- statically. So from the start and the finish. Okay. So in the start, we, we have to put the athlete into a position that optimizes their ability to use their legs to break the inertia of the barbell from the floor in order to do that. What you want is, and these are general terms. Okay. So uh, the barbell is going to be over the middle of the foot. The shoulders, where the deltoid tendon is, is going to be over the middle uh, uh, of the bar. The arms uh, are going to be uh, internally rotated. The chest is going to be up. The balance is going to be over the middle of the foot. Uh, notice, I didn't mention anything about hip height. Ah, uh, the 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 other thing that has to happen is the the uh, the elbows, uh, the knees are going to be slightly in front of the elbows in most cases, especially in the snatch. So there's no mention of hip height. There's no mention of other things. This is a position that is going to allow the, the the athlete to use their legs to move the barbell. Mm-hmm. Some people's hip is going to be higher. Some are going to be lower in the finish positions. You know, we want a position where the uh, where the middle of the barbell is over the top of the traps, which is over the hips, which is in the base of support, which is anywhere between where the big toe goes into the foot and the cal- and the uh, and the medial malleolus. So that's your base of support. So uh, the arms are going to be locked. The you know, wrists are going to be fairly straight. So with you know anything other than that, you know people are going to develop uh, might develop differently. But I would argue that you would be hard-pressed to find anybody that's doing this at a, at a high level where the things that I mentioned aren't present. Mm-hmm. So within that, what happens in the process of moving the barbell from the starting position to the receiving position, you're going to see some, uh, some slight technical differences for sure. But you're not going to see large variations in the things that I discussed. Does that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, uh, like, uh, don't the Chinese kind of do that? I mean, they have one technique, and then they search for people that uh, fit within their their parameters of kind of anthropometrical ratios. Like, they're looking for a specific aspect yeah. for their style. But that happens when you have a huge population of people. At that, f- a huge homogeneous population. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah so I mean, that's a good
4: one, too. You can you can do that. But even with the Chinese, they're still doing... The things that I mentioned there, you know, the, the starting positions are the same, you know, some move their feet. So don't move their feet. I mean, I would, I would be, I would caution anybody that's learning weightlifting to mimic what you see on hook grip.
2: Because because Lou doesn't move his feet doesn't mean you shouldn't move your feet. Well, I mean, but that's what people invariably always fuck up. What they, what they tend to do is they look at, like, the, the greatest athletes. Those and with right.
1: authority or achievement. No, no well, yeah.
2: well, this is and, – and this is the, the fucking problem I've had with a, a lot of strength conditioning and probably when we were talking about why something like Nike Sparks failed – Was what they did is they went out and they reached out to these coaches that had been working with high-level athletes because they had big names, and they brought in the systems that these guys were using. Not realizing that if you bring in the world's best athletes as a strength and conditioning coach, all you have to do is not get them injured and just stand the fuck back. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: That's right. It's kind of like call that the
2: fallacy of achievement. So so when I went, yeah, write that down. So when I went to out, out to Nike, they had a big deal where they were wanting to do. Uh, this Nike Sparks and they were putting these training programs and they brought the dude who was the uh, strength coach for Manchester U and he had, been, uh, he had found that uh, by putting all of their soccer players in a functional movement screen that, uh, um, and then training them to get a better score on the functional movement screen, everybody got better. And, uh, right. you know, they played at a higher I level. And box. I, am like listening to this. I'm like, dude, this is fucking nonsense. You guys are taking multimillion dollar, the best soccer players in the world. If you have them go fucking play a snare drum for 20 minutes a day, they're going to be getting better. <laughs> yeah. So like the problem becomes like, don't talk like, uh, I want to know. And we've always said this, like, don't tell me about the best. Tell me about the person that, uh, you know, that nobody wanted or the guy who, right. uh, you know, that, you know, he'll never amount to anything. And that your program grew him into a champion. Don't tell me somebody that was destined from birth. That's why it's so hard with NFL strength coaches. People always want to know what they're doing, what they're doing. And I I tell them, I'm like, dude, the NFL is full of genetic freaks that (laughs) that you can put them in a hammer strength program, uh, one set to intensity, Mike Munster, a hit program, and they'll get stronger. I mean, when I came out of Zangus's program uh, and went to college and we got into just a pure Olympic lifting, I got stronger. When I went to the Eagles and we did hit, I got stronger. But I was smart enough to realize that it was probably more the changing of the adaptation and the movements than it was the program, and that if I didn't leave there and go back to a training program that developed in foster athleticism, I would effectively fucking play myself out of the league. So the problem becomes is that we always want to look at the world's best like hey i want to watch hook grip and i want to see what the chinese are doing right now i'm going to mimic them not realizing that these guys are in a communist country if they win a gold medal all of a sudden their family gets like extra food and they get to live in a palace and they get all this great stuff so they have a motivation that we don't have and on top of it, like, the amount of training that these guys do is so far beyond what, like, uh, you know, the average American, I mean, uh, like, these guys are true professional athletes. I mean, they train, they live in a hall, everything's paid for, and if you do good, you're kept there. If not, you get fucking cast out with the with the others.
4: Well, more, I mean, to, 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 to put that into perspective, I mean, there's, there's two things that I look for and only two things. It's motivation, like you said, and coordination. Everything else I can teach. Nice. I, motivation and coordination is the only thing that matters, and everything else is bullshit. Uh, you know, to your point about you know, I, I got into a little bit of uh, I got a little heat. Is a, a co- well, go figure. Uh, coach um, was talking about uh, posting videos of of I forget what athlete uh, athletes it was, and they and they're doing something that's not something you would teach a beginner. And talking about, hey, you know, it's you see, you can there's many different ways that uh, people can learn. And I then posted, uh, you guys, I don't know if you guys might be too young, but the Jim Abbott was a pitcher, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he had one hand and he and he pitched uh, he pitched a no hitter for the Yankees. So then I said, well, look, I think uh, because Jim Abbott with one hand pitched a no-hitter, I think all parents should have to chop off their kid's hand and then, teach them how to pitch, and they, too, can pitch a no-hitter. I mean, it's the same fucking retarded uh, mindset that because this guy did it this way, then everybody should do it this way, forgetting about any uh, 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 any understanding of just the basic, basic uh, uh, entry-level things that have to happen when you start a sport it's just it's just mind-boggling to
2: me well but i the, part of the reason is um hard work consistency repetitive movement patterns over and over again teaching from the basics is not sexy and uh <laughs> you know and like that's what i always remind people i'm like did you did you get into this thinking that it was going to be sexy that like there was <laughs> uh you know that like all of a sudden I mean, we saw that all the time i mean people would come to our gym and you know they wanted sexy and when you know, they got like, hey, man, like and that's kind of where like the move the dirt thing came for me is like I use right. that analogy with somebody. I'm like, dude, there's a lot of dirt to move, man. Like there's yep. a lot of work to be done. And one day you will be there. But the problem is you're not there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you train outside of, you know, uh, you know, the life cycle of where you are in this training thing, and you know, we call the training life cycle, like if, if all of a sudden you're at year 10 when you need to be, at you know, day one, you know, and that's where, um, uh, you know, when CrossFit hit me up about my training and people started asking me what I was doing for my training, I, my comment to them is like, you know, I'll tell you what my training's or what I do for my training, but why would you think that my training would work to drive adaptation for you? And they were like, well, it's, you know, the CrossFit thing and, you know, you, know, you just do what everybody else is doing. And I'm like, dude, one, you're not me. Two, you don't have the training right. history I have. So why is it you think that you could just jump in on year 20? And uh, you know that was uh, there was a lot of butt hurt on that, and I just and I think where you know CrossFit football and we started you know pretty pretty well is that we were from day one said hey man there's different levels here, you know uh, if you're an amateur, a collegiate, a professional, right. you know how you train you have to train based off of who you are to maximize that level when that level maxes maxes out you move to the next one but if you fuck this thing up you're going to run into injuries you're going to you know fuck up your training and you're going to have to take 10 steps back to unfuck everything by relearning it and they go well how do you know that and i'm like because i did that
3: (laughs) i trained and it
2: was true i was 14 years old and we were in zangus's garage doing singles with fucking knee wraps on and you know that was what george knew he knew triple double single and right. you know he gave me a lot of great information but what he didn't necessarily know was like how to train uh that beginner from day one i mean he should have been like get rid of the fucking belt get rid of that knee right. reps you're not using any right. of that shit. you're going to hit your numbers and uh you know and he should have known that singles and doubles and triples don't work for beginners the same way that you know more reps do because i don't have as much opportunity my nervous system's too fresh right. i you know uh my uh, and the problem becomes is you watch a beginner and rep one kind of sucks. Rep two's a little bit better. Three and by the time they hit the fourth and fifth and the sixth rep, it starts looking better.
1: Yeah. No proficiency. Right.
2: No proficiency. And um, but you know we were you know just happy to be over at George's doing what we were doing. So, uh, you know, telling people being like, I'm just don't want to have to have you take the same fucking road I had. And then of course then they always are like, Will you play in the NFL? I'm like, Dude. I played in the NFL in spite of all this bullshit and uh, you know, I persevered over it and fucking had a lot of injuries because of the training. And what I'm trying to do is prevent that shit uh, from happening. Cause if you follow the path correctly, you will not run into these injuries or at least, you know, uh, you know, gym injuries, which I think should never happen. Um, and it just allows for a better, uh, you know, a more rich experience. No, I agree 100%. And we have a big
4: problem in weightlifting because you know, I'm sure I'm going to get shit for this too, but... Uh, um, nobody listens yeah, to Yeah, it's us. just our parents. <laughs> uh, you know, some of our top athletes uh, have apparent and severe technical issues and they're lifting big weights, but they're they're young and they're hitting a ceiling. And to me... I don't, you know, I can't name one fucking youth champion from 10 years ago. I just don't know of any, but uh, because it doesn't matter. Uh, If you're, especially in a sport like weightlifting, you know, if you're lifting weights poorly in other sports, it's not going to, if you don't get hurt, it's not going to affect your performance all that much. There's not a huge correlation between elite level athletes in the weight room and performance. Uh, You know, if you're a great athlete, you're going to be great in your sport. The weight, the weightlifting, the weight training is going to help you not decline, but it's not going to make you a second-string person to a fucking starter in the NFL. It's not going to happen. But in weightlifting, when you, you know, like we mentioned, the the lifting is the thing, and if you're not doing it right, at some point, your talent is not going to be enough to overcome those mistakes, and we're seeing that in some of our top lifters where they are just you know, they might be the most talented person that walks on that stage, but they're never going to beat the other people because they can't, you can't overcome physics. You can't do it. So they're not learning how to do things correctly. And it's a big fucking problem in weightlifting. uh, And it comes from not, it comes from not, Doing the things that you did, John. I mean, you had some as a coach. You have these experiences, and then you constantly evaluate and you pick from it what you what's valuable. Like like you know the Bruce Lee did with with Jeet Kune Do. You took what's useful and disregarded the rest, and you keep on doing that throughout your career. And then you you develop this this body of knowledge, and then you you keep on applying it, and you figure out the best ways to apply it. You keep on refining that. You don't have coaches that are doing that. We have they're, coaches they're, that are getting these talented guys, and they're doing whatever, and they're not paying attention. They're refusing help because these kids are doing well. But what happens when they stop doing well? What happens when they get to the senior level and they shit the bed? You know, now we have – now weightlifting has a problem because they're putting all their eggs in in, in these guys' baskets, and they're not going to get the fruits of it down the road because these kids are never going to develop. And it's a big fucking problem. I don't know what, I, I, I don't know what you can do about it.
3: There's a similar story um, back in 2007, and this is from Sports Gene, the book. And uh, yeah, Donald Thomas books. was a high jumper. So the dude had natural ability, but his technique was shit. So they just rode his natural ability, became a world champion, but never won an Olympic medal because right. he never improved. Right. It just was a peak. Great. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So it, similar similar respect. Athletes, are they come to these coaches, amazing
2: ability but then they're, they're not coachable they're not coordinated well, i would say coachability is coordination well i mean think, think about how many and, and i know this is going to blow people's minds uh i i can think of how many guys that i know that were coming out of high school that i got recruited by that came i mean geez i, I think of brandon willis at cal that ran a 10 300 as a senior in high school so you have kids that are running around 10 second flat 10 1 10 2 10 300s which is fucking blazing wow. speed. I mean, you're thinking 20 years ago, you were pretty much a contender in in the, you know in, in the you know in the you know for a gold medal, you know now these guys are running you know nine sevens and right. you know uh, Usain Bolt running nine sixes, but uh, you know and change. But um, uh, you know you have a kid coming in, and the hilarious part, or not, it's fucking more sad when I say laughable. It's more tragic, but like these guys would come to college and they would come working and you know run and they wouldn't be able to improve their speed, so they'd already like kind of either maxed out their natural ability and then to be able to shave that time off it, you know it comes down to technique and uh, conditioning and you know movement and the ability to you know maintain posture and position through you know longer than they than they did before and, and i guess desire right you got to and
1: it's probably going to take a bigger
2: fight to do it so you got to have the fucking
1: guts to go through
2: it yeah and and you know here you are at 18 and you're realizing like okay so i run a 103 at 18 and to run 10 flat or or under is going to take me roughly eight to 10 years, which, you know, a lot of people are like, I I don't want to invest a decade of my life to shave, you know, a few tenths of a second off of a hundred meters. But that becomes the idea of like the mastery, the dedication. That's that's the reason that only one guy gets to hold up a gold medal. And the problem comes down to, uh, you know, coaches are so quick to like, want to raise somebody's hand and be like, oh, he's good. It's me. You know, and, and maybe this is, you know, goes back right. to like, uh, you know, I never could do it. So now I found somebody. So this is my piece of, uh, you know, this opportunity when at the end of the day, like uh, as a coach, sometimes you have to realize like I've taken this athlete as far as I can. Now I need to find somebody else that can take them the rest of the way. Right. And, um, you know, and there's no shame in that. I mean, I, I, I know for athletes I've worked with, I'm like, I got nothing else for you. You got to go find somebody else. You gotta find somebody that can do more than me because this is what I'm good at. And now you're as good as I, for what my skill is. Now you have to go and you know, that happened with China Cho. I mean, you know, I worked with China and, you know, fixed her knee and rehabbed her and got her to the point where she could move and be competitive. And then at that point I was like, you gotta go out and compete and you gotta find somebody new. And she had to go on another journey to, you know, find somebody to teach her to Olympic lift better. And then she had to figure out that I can't train with girls, I gotta train with guys, and I gotta to try to hammer it more. And, uh, you know, I always go back and say, man, she, I was the right person at the right time for what she needed, but you know what, to be able to take it all the way. And there's very rarely, do you run into a coach that can take you from like step one all the way through Z and, um, you know, I mean, Charlie Francis, you know, was a great one. I mean, Charlie was like, if you're not fast, we're probably not talking. Like, right. Charlie was a guy where, like, you got to, you know, like, for you to even have that conversation to show up and to train with him, you already better be fast. And somebody, it's kind of like, you know, uh, L- Louis Simmons, you know, oh, yeah, you know, we've trained beginners. I'm like, well, who was the, who, you know, but Dave Hoff, oh, yeah, I trained Dave Hoff, you know, he, he came here when he was 14. Yeah, he squatted 800 pounds when he was 14.
3: Well, Louis did train a
2: beginner,
1: Nate. <laughs>
3: oh, yeah. No, and- Nate
2: no it was no. just in the same room as louis no no <laughs> he did and then he told me uh that uh i should take nate out and drowned him or kill him uh he, he said he goes hey uh, i want you to take nate out and i want you to hit him with the car and kill him because uh you know this is hurting my feelings seeing this shit and i, I told him I'm like hey nate uh, louis wants me to kill you and he's like really fuck but, um, uh, you know, there's a situation where, you know, unless you're pretty close to squatting a grand or, you know, something like that, you're not training at Westside Barbell. Right. Like there's a, you know, a guy who gets you to a point and then sends you off to that. I'm sure there's, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen some, uh, some terrible Olympic lifting, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, the guy probably took this athlete as far as he can, and now he has to go somewhere else. And I think that's the athlete's journey, as you know. I mean, geez, Sean, I'm sure you've seen all walks of life, and you've had people that have, you know, said, Hey, you know, you need to go see Waxman. I've done all of I can. And I think that's, to me, that's a, that's a true coach, you know, somebody who can realize their limitations and then be able to push or, you know, have somebody continue to move on to progress. I'm with you 100%. I do it all the time. I mean, I, I,
4: I there are, Therapeutic things that I don't pretend to be an expert in uh, and I have a team of people that I refer my athletes to uh, because that's what you do. Um, I'm not my I'm not. So my ego isn't such that I need to keep my athletes under a tight leash and don't let them get experience in other with other folks. Uh Because that's it's not, then it becomes about you, the the coach, not about the athlete. And uh, I just, I agree with you 100%, John. I think that um, ego is a terrible thing for a coach to not be able to keep in check. And uh, you're doing your athletes a huge disservice by not looking, seeking out other experts. Um, Now, I know as a weightlifting coach, you know, I even talk to, I have. People in the in the weightlifting world that I respect very much, and I talk to them all the time. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I'm having this problem. What do you think? I mean, I have no problem reaching out to others and asking what they think. Uh, and I don't understand, to John's point, I don't understand why more people why people think that that's a, sh- a sign of weakness. That's a sign of strength. That's a sign that yeah, you're you're all about your getting your athlete better. It's not all about protecting yourself. It's about getting your athlete better. So I don't I don't understand that small minded thinking. But we have a lot of it in our sport, and most I think a lot of sports probably, but uh, in weightlifting especially. It's, well, it's, I
2: mean, I mean, it isn't the idea that everybody wants to be considered the expert. And if you tip your hat and send somebody to to do something, I mean, I also think too that that comes with age. I mean, you know, all of a sudden, you know, your ego to the point of like, you know, it's not about me. It's a, it's about, you know, getting an athlete to perform at the highest level. And uh, you know, for me, I, uh, you know, I just want the, you know, the person to have the best experience and to be able to maximize their potential. And, and if I'm not the guy, then I'm not the guy and we got to go find the guy. And uh, but, you know, there also comes back to, um, you know, I had pretty good success in terms of athletic, you know, in terms of sports, and I think for people that might not have, have, have had good success, maybe they guarded a little bit more, like, this is my chance. I mean, if you, you know, shit, my favorite was uh, my brother, you know, coaches my nephew's uh, baseball team, and seeing how fucking rabid these parents are, and like, you know, they're talking to my brother, and they're fucking yelling, and how like emotionally invested they are. And I remember my brother, you know, I don't know if you ever met my brothers, but they both uh, played college football and, you know, played at a high level. And uh, and I remember my brother Eddie being like, I don't think any of these motherfuckers ever played a sport. He's like, the (laughs) fact that they're putting this much pressure on a fucking 10-year-old. And my brother, you know, is like, dude, I played, uh, uh, you know, I played college football and I also played college baseball. And he's like, dude, he goes, relax. Like, there's, you know, let these kids have fun. Like, this is important because they'll, you know, and he, the day I was there, he even said to one of the parents, he's like, uh let your kid have fun because one day it's not going to be fun. And the guy was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, go talk to my brother over there that played in the NFL for a decade about how fun sports are when all, you know, one day. And, and, and so the guy was like, oh, your brother played? And I, I talked to the dude. I'm like, dude, there's a day where all of a sudden it's not about fun anymore. It's about, you know, making a living or fucking ego or all Yeah, your future, things. right? And your future. Like, let your kid have a good time. But the problem is, and we've said it numerous times, people fail at the margins of their experience. And now here's an opportunity for their kid to have some, to reach something that they could not. And, um, you know, that becomes becomes the the driving factor when it shouldn't.
4: No, it's very true. Very, very, very uh, insightful words, because uh, youth sports has become a, a shit pot of retarded parents. And just these, I feel so bad for these kids. And I think you're right. It's a lot of people that never were athletes at any level, and they are, they are projecting what they think uh, sports should be like, without any visceral experience of their own, because they just didn't experience it for themselves.
2: Well, and, and I, I think there's this idea that you can somehow push somebody to athletic greatness. You know, you turn on and you see some story about Michael Phelps or this, and parents figure like, "Oh, you know, my kid has you know potential, so I need to like you know uh, push them to this." And, like, the harder thing, and I think what people fail to realize is there's this genetics component that is, uh, you know, will always be um, this kind of pinnacle gold standard that, you know, all things being equal, if somebody has a certain genetic attitude to be able to do certain things, they're going to rise to that level. And it's like, you know, you, you know, look at Michael Phelps. I mean, the dude's like 6'7", and he wears like a 30-inch pant. You know his feet are like 17s <laughs> i mean like the, the guy's like you know uh, an anomaly and you know uh rafael talking about that katie ledecky oh she had 20 degrees of yeah. uh, uh you know her uh, back up yeah of hyper her knee, extension. yeah, uh, yeah hyper, so her knees went back into hyperextension 20 degrees and oh, her ankles shit. were so highly flexible that she can like generate so much whip and power into the in, into the kick uh, that she just destroys everybody. I mean, to the point where, like, if you look at her hairline, it's kind of farther back, and she's got, like, this bigger forehead, and Ruff's like, she almost cuts the water like a rudder, and she's just physically put together to be a, the, one of the uh, you know uh, just a stud-dominant swimmer. And it's like there's certain genetic aptitude for that, right. just like in football. Like, if I wasn't 6'6", there's a good chance I wasn't playing, you know, in the NFL, but it just so happened that that worked out that way. Mm-hmm. I think with uh, you know uh, Olympic weightlifting, I mean, you got to be neurologically wired up, and I sometimes think that if you wanted to select the best uh, you know and uh, Spitz did this I mean Spitz went out and just looked for like the you know really strong fast you know football players Yeah you know, wash out football yeah, players Yeah he was like yeah. and Travis Mash does the exact same thing Travis is like I just look for the football player that was like really good but a little undersized that didn't get a scholarship and then I suck that guy in because I know those guys are understand hard work how to hit they're used to absorbing load they've been training for a long time and he goes it just uh, it's worked out pretty well so um, that's uh, you know a pretty good pretty good idea. So, so. Uh,
4: I, I'm a big believer in uh, um, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit, and uh, I think people have to remember that when they're looking oh, yeah. at uh, developing athletes. You know, you should you should uh, uh, you should uh, gauge your expectation based off of that. Um, I think that will will get you very far. But it's not
3: going to win you a gold medal mm-hmm. as an individual. As an like, individual, yeah. Right. I don't know. Team sports, there's a bigger margin. Different, for, yeah. Different.
4: There's always the room. There's always room for the five foot eight guy that just goes balls out and might not be the most talented.
2: Uh, there's always uh, there's text. always a spot for him. You know, no. Well, actually, thanks, actually, thanks actually, Sean. <laughs> actually, 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 there's not because we had a conversation about this this morning because uh, Tex, mm-hmm. you know uh he was take the uh, early flight home yeah there was five li- or sorry there was uh five middle or five linebackers in texas number five and uh yeah. so i found an outlet lacrosse but here's the thing the coach even said like you train hard you bust your ass and you're a hard worker yeah, but you're not any good but uh by default just hard work should be able to get you there right not necessarily yeah. but no can. no i can't
4: no i mean you gotta have so- I mean you have to have you have to have something. You can't mm-hmm. just be Did hard you like harder.
3: to hit? Yeah, but that's what allowed me to have success in lacrosse. So I found my skill set a sport that allowed me to Or was it just a much shallower pool playing semantics. with per- Hey, listen, John-, John. Say tomato tomato. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't freaking playing at Georgetown or anything.
2: Uh, you did play. Yeah, at I'll Georgetown. get a guy like no, I, I mean, I know I'm point out. Oh, I you thought know. you Oh, you played at St. Mary's. No,
3: I played against St. Mary's. I went to Marymount University D3. Woo. Ooh, that's right. Okay, Marymount. Yeah, I think. Oh, okay,
2: what were you saying, Sean? Sorry, saying,
1: sorry. Like about
4: you, that. you get a guy like Don Beebe. You had a long career with the Bills. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know, you know, guys like I mean, look, there aren't a lot of them. Trust me, uh, but there there are certain you can certainly look towards guys that maybe you would they would never think that they could play at that level, and they and they did for whatever reason. I mean, I uh, Matt Matt Kelso. Another fucking crazy bastard. He made his living, you know, just running down the field.
2: Yeah, no, uh, I mean, but but he's so. The, but the far that's the far exception far not the rule. Whenever somebody mentions Don Beebe, I always laugh because you remember how he had to wear that extra. Th- uh, he, he had like an extra helmet on top of uh-huh. this thing. Yeah, he had the kazoo helmet. So so the reason <laughs> the reason being is uh, there's um there's a strange reverse racism in the NFL, and and it gets said like you're gonna let that white motherfucker beat you. And so he would go across in the in this you know kind of skinny, kind of lanky white receiver, a little bit across, out of place, a little bit out of place, and he would beat a black dude. And he they'd say, "Are you going to let that fucking white motherfucker beat you?" So then, what they started doing was trying to kill him. <laughs> so if you ever saw the hits that Don Beebe took, mm-hmm. because yep. these motherfuckers are like, I ain't like if, if if he beats me, I'm gonna kill him.
1: You know who got a little bit of that too is Tom Waddle, Chicago oh, Bear. Hundred uh, percent, oh, yeah. yeah well,
2: Tom Waddle got it, and uh, and the problem became was like, I mean, he, he would just get fucking annihilated. But then all of a sudden on the other side, then you got like a dude like Chuck Cecil or right. Timmy Hauk, who you know was Chuck Cecil's apprentice, uh, you know, in death. And all of a sudden you have, you know, Timmy Houck who would just fucking murder people. I mean, he ended uh, Michael Irvin's career on The Vet that day. I mean, fucking hit him. And he would like kind of dive sideways like a scud missile and just <laughs> fuck people up.
0: But like the that's,
2: yeah, that's the uh, reverse racism. I mean, I, I used to hear that shit all the time. Be like, oh, you're gonna let that white motherfucker beat you? And uh, I'd look over and be like, First of all, I just fucking whooped your ass. And two, who the fuck are you talking about? You know, I'm like that type of... But, I mean, that shit used to happen.
1: So you get put... I mean, that goes down to the bounty thing, right? Like that... uh, It's a fucking cruel world, that uh, NFL. I mean, I'm told. You know, I don't know from experience.
2: There's a lot of pride out there. And especially when a dude's got like three babies, mamas, and like six fucking kids in child support. And he's trying to fucking make sure the repo man don't try to come and take his bands. Motherfuckers start killing each other for some Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fucking... Rough.
1: It's and, a lot like uh, this flag football league I used to play in in Bowling, Brooklyn, Illinois.
2: <laughs> 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 no, it's uh, it, it, like I, uh, people ask me, they're like, do you miss it? I'm like, yeah, it was a great. It was it was uh, some of the most fun I, I, I ever had. And they were like, why is that? I'm like, because I got paid an exorbitant amount of money just to fucking kill people. Mm-hmm. and um you know uh and then they're like well you know would you do it again i'm like yeah in a heartbeat and they're like what about the concussions and all that and i'm like well you know what like people go to war with the idea that you know you might not come back you don't go to like nobody goes to the nfl and thinks wow i'm going to do this job for 10 years and come out unscathed mm-hmm. sure and um you know like uh and i think um you know if they think that then they're fucking living in fantasy land like how would you think that you're using your body as a batting ram? But unfortunately, when you have somebody who's extremely nefarious like the NFL hiding information like, oh, we know that, uh, you know, all those repeated hits to your head are, are, you know, should be classified and more importantly dealt with wrong, uh, differently, then I think that becomes something when all of a sudden information is kept from you. you. provide everybody the information and let them be able well, to make Well, it's not decisions. only that.
1: It's provide the information and fucking follow up on the treatment you promise, right? Well,
2: yeah. And uh, don't make it impossible
1: 100%. to fucking get.
2: Yeah, and, and fucking make these arduous processes that go through. Mm-hmm. But also like realizing things like, hey, uh, uh, the worst thing you can do to, to an athlete after they've had some form of brain trauma is glucose. Mm-hmm. So then after every game, they're shoving gator in your fucking hand, and all of a sudden, I'm like, dude, this Gatorade makes me feel sick. I ain't fucking ever drinking it. Right. And now, all of a sudden, you think about, you know, uh, all these years later that, you know, pumping people full of sugar when you're fucking beating their heads in, into each other might not have been the best protocol, but sure as hell, nobody's going to talk about that.
4: John, just, I, I hate to... What is I, I'm unfamiliar with the with the connection between glucose and brain trauma?
2: Ooh baby. Oh uh, so there's a uh, if you can do a little bit of PubMed searching, um, I will. If, you know if like you look at like protocols for a, acute brain trauma, Hold on, like uh, uh, like concussions Hold on. and things like that, the one thing they don't do is give glucose. Let me, and, uh, uh, right, and, and you don't have to it, get into it. I'll look it up. I don't and also,
1: Sean, up. we had uh, this came up with, I think, with Ken Ford, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, so yeah. Ken Ford, who is if you want to just if you're a podcast guy, uh, yeah. he was on our deal and we talked a bit about it. And he got into some of the nuts and bolts behind yeah, it. We'll it, get an episode know, real
2: quick. Like, like neurotransmitters and, uh, uh, right. you know, blood sugar and uh, insulin and just being a bunch of different you know, key factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you know dealing, and then you get into a situation where now you have chronic brain trauma, and you're you know chronically dosing these things uh, to the point where I never drank the Gatorade; I just drank water because uh, it always made me like feel you know legs heavy and just kind of cognitively I didn't feel as quick as mm-hmm. I should, and uh, you know that piece. But you know the other one too. Um, I pretty much historically always ate a pretty low carb, almost ketogenic diet, and did ketogenic mm-hmm. diets at, at many points in my uh, NFL career. And I think that in itself was very beneficial. So, uh, But, you know, here's the thing. Like um, I got contacted by a university to help them create a a post-concussion protocol for their athletes uh, based off of some of the, you know, the podcasts and the different things. And the biggest one I talked about was, like, if you want to increase the health of your athletes in terms of a post, you know, after big collisions or whatnot, like just really limit the amount of Gatorade and sugar that they consume. Mm -hmm. and um you know and they were you know and that was the biggest one i talked about so the other one too i think uh uh, the opiates you know you know taking guys on a lot of painkillers um whether or not it's the numbing effect or just that the opiates mess with the the brain chemistry and then all of a sudden now you're putting it under massive amounts of stress uh you know the other one is making sure people are sleeping um you know so any means necessary so like cpaps or uh you know and when we talk about sleep like natural sleep, not dosing people with ambien because that leads to more problems but um you know just being able to put that thing wow. the other thing too is uh creatine um you know increases atp uh and also brain health and i think at some point everybody will take creatine uh, monohydrate just because it uh you know with the atp it prevents um degeneration of of the brain so i think taking creatine was helpful so uh there's just a you know a lot of things i mean obviously eating a, enough fat in your diet that you're you know sure. having decent you know omega-3 profile um you mm-hmm. know but uh you know all these things go back into like you know mitigating the damage and also having a training style that effectively uh, strengthens the body in such a way that you can survive the demands placed on it with football and like i always looked at uh you know, the training is like me building armor. The muscle was armor, the strength mm-hmm. was, was the protector, and I needed to, cre- to carry enough armor to be able to survive the task. And I don't know if, uh, if the training programs that they're putting out for guys or the way they're designing them and using them are necessarily fortifying the people for the task ahead of them. Does that make sense?
4: Yep, 100%. I mean, that's why
2: I always loved about the Olympic lifts. I mean, the ability to accept and receive a load and like, mm-hmm. to, you know, like, you know, as you bring the bar down to be able to s- receive that load, maintain posture and, position and drive out of it to me was like, you know, why do you like Olympic lifting? And I'm like, dude, because when all of a sudden I pull a power clean and I get a kind of a big crash on my chest and um, I'm able to stand up with it and be able to maintain posture and position underneath that dynamic load, like to me, that's as beneficial as anything for developing, you know, strength for football. That's a good point.
4: Now, did that, that, that whole uh, absorbing a load and decel- that, that, uh, de- Decelerate are huge components to the to the training for athlete for athletics uh percent, especially football in yeah, any I'm,
2: collision sport yeah so i mean it um i think there is uh you know uh, the place in where we're we're really you know hopefully power athlete is really going to make you know i imagine us making our mark is in terms of developing and working with these you know coaches who are going out and you working with these athletes and they'll develop within this program understanding these principles and i think uh um you know if they could effectively put pro, you know good training methods in place so people understood it so you weren't having some fucking asshole swelling sport specific uh, you know training programs where it's fucking speed ladder and stupid shit actually developing basic you know strength training you know we talked about like moving in different planes of motion different patterns i mean being able to develop athleticism and strength and power and all these things in like a you know cohesive way um uh, you know I don't know if we're going to see the same problems that maybe we're seeing. And I think this is a really just a failure of people to develop, uh, prepare the athletes for the demands ahead of them. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, I think it's a very valid concern. And, and I don't know. I don't know if we're equipped to, to solve that problem. Uh, as, as the organizations that exist, the, the the most influential organizations right now are not equipped to, handle those problems and the nsca is certainly not capable of handling those problems and uh they you know they're they're the ones that are kind of looked towards as the uh as the gold standard along with the collegiate strength conditioning association uh but i just don't think any of them understand the problem or how to fix it uh and i think you know maybe you guys are the ones that can start that
2: charge or, or or we're that. working on it man yeah that's the goal yeah no every, every day we're chipping away at this and and I, I think there are people in these different organizations that we've had on the podcast they're pretty dialed in that fucking understand it and when you start having the uh the dialogue uh you know they they understand what's happening and how it needs to happen and i think that just continued to uh, you know increasing the conversation and then the other problem too is a uh, balancing you know, and I think at the collegiate level, even the professional level, balancing what the strength coach knows the athlete needs, convincing the athlete, and then on the other side, fucking making the you know the the sport coach happy enough. That's that's where the, I think the biggest problem well, is. Yeah, well, the problem is, is um um, and you know, I always go back when uh, we were in college. You know, our, our our football coaches were highly involved in our uh, off-season conditioning and training program. And when Todd Rice came in, he booted all those motherfuckers out and said, you don't see me in the fucking t- in, in the film room telling you what place to run, do you? Why the fuck are you here in the weight room talking to these guys about training? That's my fucking job. And he was a fucking prick about it. And you know what? At the time, I, I was like, this guy's an asshole. And now I respect him even more because he said, you know what? Like, You bring me in to be your strength and conditioning coach and you motherfuckers want to sit here and babysit me, get the fuck out. And uh, to me... Um, the day that you can get the sport coach out of the weight room and let uh, let the, the professionals go in and you know and, and do the job they need and say hey you know it's not about it's not about these numbers it's about the performance on the field so why don't you let me do this job and then you tell me how they're performing and then we'll make tweaks me just doing some training and you telling me that hey these they need to hit these numbers is bullshit like you saw at Texas and that's why and, they fucking got fired
3: and the, also another challenge um, and I hope the organizations can attack it there's this mix of experience. So if you are a division one football team, you want to bring in a division one football player because they have the experience at that level. So then the challenge becomes educating- As a coach. As a coach. Then the challenge becomes educating that individual who has the athletic (laughs) experience to be able to manage these athletes appropriately.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Please forgive the abrupt end to this episode as we mistakenly cut the recording short, but I assure you, you did not miss any significant goodies. If you want to follow Sean Waxman on Instagram, you can follow him at Waxman's Gym or by heading to www.waxmansgym.com for more details on his coach's development course. Until next time, bye!